Be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to subject matter. You are listening to Romantic Truth with Josen, your host in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas. I want to thank all the listeners. I'm going to be reading your email today, and this is email that we're still trying to catch up on. We still have the moratorium on email. And want to thank you folks for going to facebook.com backslash romantic truth and supporting us. And you can always give us a like, comment, uh, maybe a topic that we need to co- cover, something like that. You could also hit us up here at anchor.fm backslash romantic truth backslash message. Leave a message, something that may be of interest to you that we could discuss. And also, or a question you may have. Also, one thing that I will also say here, I want to thank you for those of you who listen to the music on Apple Music and Spotify for Apple Music, the um, playlist is J-A-U-S-A-N, second word, music, M-U-S-I-C, and I almost spelled it wrong. You can also listen to us on Spotify as well. It's under Jawson's, J-A-U-S-A-N, apostrophe S, and it's list, L-I-S-T, separate word. 100 and should pop up there. You could also pick us up on t- YouTube as well under J A U S A N space, or you could just, you know, the second word would be topic T O P I C. And we're also on Amazon and on uh, Deezer. You just type in J A U S A N and you can get us. Really appreciate your support. Now, uh, what else am I going to talk about? Oh, one thing I wanted to say. Elizabeth, Joan, Sabrina, Carol, John, Danny, Eddie, happy birthday to you all. Congrats. All right. Let's go on. These folks didn't actually give their ages or where they were located. They just wanted me to give a shout out for their birthday, so a bit shouted out. All right, let's go into the mailbag and see what we have here. Enrique writes the following I made the biggest mistake in the world. I decided to let this lady that I'd been dating for three months move in with me. We thought we were going to save money. My place was a little bit larger than hers, and it had more amenities. So naturally, we decided to make a go of it, the two of us cohabitating, and things were supposed to be pretty cool. I stayed over her place for a while. She stayed over my place for a while. Then we decided to go on and move in together. Now, the reason why I say this was the biggest mistake of my life, I had no idea that she had this alphabet suit of conditions. 
Shit, OCD, ACD, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know where to start. I just knew it had a lot of alphabets, and it's driving me fucking crazy. She's a germaphobe. She will take food out of the refrigerator and throw it in the trash. She's thrown away some of the things that I have cherished without my permission or consent. I came home one day and literally all the furniture was outside. She was steam cleaning and bleaching everything. It's funny, she has a cat and this cat shits and does everything throughout the house. Still doesn't use the litter box for some strange reason. But she doesn't consider that unsanitary. I've talked to her about this and we've had problems over and over. She always complains about the kitchen being dirty, the bathroom being dirty. That never stops, that's an ongoing thing. I've even paid a woman to come in and clean this place from top to bottom. She still found it filthy. I don't know whether this is something that she believes, sees, or is it some kind of disorder. I'm gonna definitely make sure that this ends at the end of this month, she's going to be out of my place forever. I will never do this again. I will date from now on. But as far as getting into a relationship and cohabitating, fuck that. It was bad enough when I was married. This shit right here is totally intolerable. I don't care what you think, whether I'm right or wrong on this. It's nothing like having your own place where you can do your own shit and not have to worry about somebody always criticizing you and telling you what you can and can't do and should or shouldn't do. Just me saying this. I don't know how you feel about it, but this is the way I feel. Enrique. Dallas, Texas. Enrique, you're right. Let me tell you what's happening. She has a mental disorder. I've seen people like this, they're very obsessive, obsessive and compulsive. And they don't look at it as a disorder. It's an inconvenience for everybody else. They're annoying as hell. I don't deal with them. I don't deal with any of the alphabet soups. I learned my lesson on that a long time ago. I don't give a damn how much medication they take. The reason being, many of them don't want to go and take meds. You will find those more so than you find the one who tries to manage it by taking medication. Now, these people are not less than anybody else. They're not, you know, bad people. But what they are, are obnoxious as fuck if you deal with one of them. I've dealt with that several times over. Many of those short relationships I tell you about, they ended because of that same dynamic. Very phobic. I took a lady out one time to Tio's Tacos over here in LA. They give you the tacos. They're not the regular tacos like you get at Taco Bell. Those Americanized tacos. These are laid out on the tortilla, corn tortilla, and they have cilantro and onions on top. And you could add your sauce and then you just go and gulp them down. Well, they give them to you in this box. This lady took the whole box now, those, those tacos were going for, I think, something like five bucks or something like that a piece. She threw them 
in the trash. Talking about she felt as though the place was dirty. Guess what we wound up eating that evening? And she paid me back for the tacos she threw away. She just went on and handed me $20. Don't worry about it. I just don't want to, it, that just looks filthy to me. I don't know what those people are about back there. I don't know those people. We ate at a fucking food truck. A food truck. That's what we ate. She knew this food truck on Wilshire that she liked to eat at. And I'm saying to myself, okay, let me get this straight. You got a restaurant that's a brick and mortar place where they have facilities inside, bathrooms, things like that. Well, in a truck, everything is compact. But that was the way she thought. Needless to say, first and last date with her. Enrique, what you have here is a situation where you're where I was years ago with that. Because those folks have no regard. Once again, as I always tell you, addiction and insecurity will always outweigh anything you can offer in a relationship to them. So there's nothing you can do to satisfy or even compensate. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be clean enough. Because, see, it's all about what they perceive as being clean. Now, if you say she has a cat that's shitting all over the place, not using a litter box. But she doesn't consider that filthy because it's something she likes. See, they have exemptions for things that they want but not for things pertaining to you. That's a mental disorder. And going untreated, you will see it. You will see it. And she's taking everything out of the house and doing all that with it. Because here's the sad thing about it. With this disorder, You know, I talk about anthropomorphism when people try to have animals to carry on uh, humanistic uh, characteristics. They actually don't think that animals fall into the category of being filthy. They think people do. And they have this conflated view that humans are worse than animals when it comes down to it. They give them a pass. They're exempt because they don't know how to use certain things in order to clean up after themselves. So they blame you. Now, here's the thing that I'm sure got you the most. You didn't feel as though you had your own space. And this happens more often than you think. I think you've done the right thing. You're getting ready to do the right thing. You've learned a valuable lesson. Fortunately, you learned it earlier in life. 
You want someone you can coexist with, not want someone you have to survive with. As I told you, even though people may deserve a relationship, they don't deserve everyone for a relationship. You don't have to put up with that shit. I know I wouldn't. I've dealt with that a couple of times throughout my life. Well, more than a couple of times. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. There was a lady that I knew and we were going out for our first date. She was Caucasian and her skin was very pale. And when I went to pick her up, she was red as a lobster. And I didn't know what was going on. I thought she got sunburned or something like that. What she had done was she had taken on this deep body cleansing scrub. And she literally scratched the top layer of her skin. And it looked horrible. And she was complaining the whole night about how, you know, the fabric couldn't touch her skin because it hurt, it stung, it burned. And I'm like, oh my God. And she's like, you know, when I get back home, I got to take a, another shower. And she was talking about how the smog and all this would get on. I'm like, you don't know how glad I was to get out of that date. She ended it early because we were headed to the restaurant and she says, you know what? Uh, I, th I think I need to go back home because uh, it's too smoggy out here and I, I, I feel dirty already. I took her ass back, never spoke or saw, to her, saw her again. You have some people that have those conditions. These are the people that you will wind up seeing on the dating scene at some point. People that have these idiosyncrasies have these phobias. And let's not get into the unfounded fears. You know, where they have those phobias about things that that really they don't have to worry about, but they're kind of cognizant of it. And it can drive you crazy. We'll talk more in a moment. All right, folks, let's go back in the mailbag from Kathy out of Paducah, Kentucky. I don't subscribe to any of the beliefs of my parents. I'm 19 years old, and I've had to grit my teeth for so long. I finally got my first apartment. Thank God I'm all to myself for a change. No more indoctrination. No more listening to the diatribe of them talking about my family, I mean. Black people. Mexican people, all other races of people being inferior. In my family, my mom and dad took pride in their blonde hair and blue eyes. And of course, my brother and I are blonde and blue. They look upon minorities, anyone of dark skin or with dark features, as being inferior. As they see it, 
white people should rule the world, and all others should be their slaves and servants. I had to put up with this at the church I went to, the people we hung around, but I never allowed them to brainwash me with this. I haven't told my boyfriend about this. He's black because it would probably scare him away. My folks don't know that I'm with a black man. He's 29, so he's 10 years older than I am. That would be a secondary problem. But as I see it, it's none of their business. I pay my own rent, I have my own job, and they want to start visiting from time to time. I'm just gonna to have to make sure that I'm very busy and unavailable, so I never have to accommodate them. Even though I love them as my parents, I hate them as people. What I really want to do is to wait until they pass away. So then I'll have the final chapter done in my life. They'll be gone and they'll be the embarrassment that I didn't want to surface. My brother brought an end to that, unfortunately. His first girlfriend, the family totally rejected. She was a white girl just like me, except she didn't have natural blonde hair or blue eyes. She had brown hair and brown eyes, and that was totally unacceptable in my family. They wanted pure blood, pure Aryan children. They even looked at Hitler as being inferior because of his darker features. It's kind of interesting how my family came about this way. But they've had this belief because my grandparents bestowed it upon them and a generation of family members before that. So we have a long history of being racist in my family, without a doubt. Now there's been some inbreeding in my family as well. My mother and father are related in some kind of way. I never really looked it up. But I know at some point, I believe they were cousins of some sort. I'm not sure what lineage was. But one thing I do know is that I'm ashamed and embarrassed about that too. Some people are proud of their families. I can truly say that I'm not. So there's a lot of things that I have to share with my new boyfriend. And I don't know how he's going to take it. He may walk away from me altogether. We don't go around in town. If anything, when we go out, we'll go to Indiana, Ohio, or somewhere way out of the way so that we won't be found out. He hates it because we spend so much money on gas and hotel rooms. But I haven't told him yet. I've been making up excuses about how I always want to get away and do things. Can you have a solution for me? I really would like to brainstorm this because I want to figure out what would be the best way for me to tell my boyfriend what he would understand and not think that I'm like those people that I'm related to, unfortunately. Kathy, Duke of Kentucky. Kathy, um, the only thing that I could suggest is tell them the truth. 
your family's going to disown you anyway when they find out. They are not going to be happy with you whatsoever. Now, here's one thing that I will tell you. When you're dealing with a situation like this, you guys are going to have to have a tighter bond than most conventional relationships because there are going to be so many people trying to break you up just on the premise that they don't want to see you with him because they may feel as though, like many of them do, he doesn't deserve you. There was a lady I dated from Germany. And there was a guy that told me that to my face. She's too attractive. You don't deserve her. Because she had blonde hair and blue eyes. Something that he wanted. But she wasn't into it. And sometimes you're going to run into that in life. Where people think you don't deserve something. The reason why they don't think you deserve it is because they don't have it. And if they had it, they wouldn't complain. And that's the way that works. But I can tell you, you're going to feel the wrath. And then what they'll probably do is have your brother as the enforcer to take you and convince you that this guy's not the right guy for you. And they're going to give you the argument about, well, you're going to have uh, mixed race kids. And that's going to be problematic for them. I know a lady right now that's biracial. Been knowing her for years. And her mother and father called hell when she was born. Mother was black, father was white. And his mother and dad cut him off from everything. The father withdrew all the money out of his business because his son was set to inherit it. And he spent every damn dime giving the rest of it away to charity. He made sure his son got nothing and made sure his wife and the young lady that I know now didn't inherit anything. And unfortunately, even now she feels guilty about being born. Because had a mother not mentioned she was pregnant, things probably would have worked out a little bit differently in that he could still deny to his parents that he was with a black woman. Even though he was in love with her, but once they excommunicated him, he said, well, hell, I might as well go on and marry her, which he did, because she was pregnant with his child. You ought to commend yourself, young lady, for 
trying to hold on to your values despite what you're exposed to. That's very important because what happens most often, we capitulate and we appease. You didn't. What this means is that one, more than likely you're a good woman because you stick by what you believe in. Two, you're willing to make a sacrifice, unlike a lot of people. A lot of people are flakes. They'll say they'll do it, then they run away, tail tucked between their legs. The only way you could tell your boyfriend is by telling him the truth. And quit having him waste his money taking you to these different states in order to rendezvous so you won't get caught by your folks. You'll have to come clean, dear. You will have to come clean. All right. Let's see what else is here. Avis writes to follow out of Denver, Colorado. I came to this town falling in love with a man from Houston, Texas originally. And things seem to have been going pretty well for the first couple of months. What started to happen as I was getting myself together looking for jobs, he would be at work. And on occasion, these people would knock on the door asking for this person or that person. At first, I thought it was probably a crack house at one point or something. Well, one day, I happened to leave the front door unlocked. I heard a key go in the door, and this lady appeared. Open hair, freckles, green eyes. She looked at me in shock. I looked at her in shock. And she asked me, who was I and what I was doing there? And I explained what was going on and how I met this nice, wonderful gentleman only a few months prior online. That's when she informed me that she was his ex-wife. And that was her place. And he was still renting from her, even though they had been divorced. He was behind on the rent, and she came over to confront him about that very thing. It was a very awkward situation, because I didn't know what to say to her. I was sitting there in a robe, quiet, at the computer, trying to get my head around what was going on. She was kind enough to sit down and explain everything to me. When he came into the front door, he was mortified. He immediately turned around, ran downstairs, got in his car, and drove off. Whatever this woman was to him, whatever she is to him, she has a lot of clout and power, that's for sure. We talked for about an hour and a half. I didn't try to page him, didn't try to call him. 
And she told me it would be no good. He's just going to go over to his other girlfriend's home. Then I got my education. She told me that he had several women that he had set up like this. And this was the reason why he and she are divorced. I felt so ashamed. She told me I had a couple of days to get out because he had been in arrears in the rent for 90 days and she was going to do an eviction. And she didn't want me to be caught up in the mess. She asked me if I needed money to get back to Houston. I must admit, I lied and told her yes. I had enough money to get back home. She paid for my airline ticket. And I just got back three days ago. And I can truly say, haven't heard a word from him. Not a peep. I'm just waiting for him to contact me. I haven't bothered picking up the phone. Why should I? I'm not the one who's due to explain the situation I got exposed to. I hope I'm making sense. Because if not, maybe I was crazy just to believe this guy's lies and actually spend my money to fly out there trying to start a new life with him. As you promised. Yeah, yeah, you got, you got played, ma'am. I tell you folks about this. Because this right here, you never know what their agenda is. Now, let me give you some speculative assumptions about this. For what you wrote. I'm of the firm conviction that what he was trying to do a mess, a group of women. So at any given time, he can move from here, there, and boy. The reason why he still rented from his ex-wife, and I guarantee you more than likely that property was hers before they married, and they weren't married long. Well, in the picture, they weren't. Here's the thing I will tell you. He probably did that in order to keep a tab on what she was doing so just in case she might have gotten lonely changed her mind that the two of them would be together now another thing we have to also consider his motivation I don't think this guy works I think he lies to you and tell you he works I think these are the women or the people that are actually keeping him going and he's probably using the guilt factor. Let me give you an idea how this works. Think for instance, a guy moves you into a town. And you get into that town. And then after you get there, he's already told you a whole bunch of lies about how great things were to get you there. Once you get there, he falls on hard times of some sort. He comes up with some conflated lie about things have gone south. The bottom of his world has fallen out. 
He then goes get the woman, who's usually from another state, not always, and he'll convince her to go get a place. He will live and cohabitate with this woman. And that's what he's doing while he's doing that. He's reaching out for another woman. And eventually he's going to run the same game on her. Because he's going to get found out, found out by the woman he was already with. But here's the thing. He's going to leave before things get really crazy. And the reason why he's going to do that, he doesn't want to get caught where they're breaking up over infidelity. Now, in the case with her, with this lady you spoke with, he waited too late and she caught up with him. Now, what this would mean is that he would go off of the guilt of these women after they've got the place by saying, well, you know, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't be out here. You wouldn't have this place. You wouldn't have that job. You wouldn't be doing as well as you are. Even though the guy had no intentions of treating a woman right or fairly. It was all about them. So they have several homes to go to at any given time. And this way they don't have to worry about maintaining a residence of their own. Somebody else is footing the bill. And that someone else is one of these females that they lure into their trap. More in a moment. As I've always told you, the hardest thing in life is to keep control of your life. There are going to be people that try to intimidate you, try to influence you, and try to put you in a place where you don't belong, but where they would like to see you. Now, there's another thing to keep in mind. And this gentleman wrote about it and we're going to talk about it. Hans writes to the following. I've been listening to your show now for about two years. Starting to learn a lot. Spreading the word. You make good sense on what you talk about. The topics you hit. Most people don't even think about discussing. I appreciate this. Something happened to me recently. I'm up in age like you. I'm 56 years old. Made some sacrifices for my family and paying the price now for it. You know that whole thing about family first? That's a bunch of bullshit. Your family is the first person to usually stab you in the back, throw you off a cliff for their benefit only. Been there, done that. I've always been independent. I always stayed by myself. Never wanted to be around anybody because usually most of the people I can never trust anyway. I met this lady here in Vegas, where I live now, unfortunately, and we have been talking for about two months. 
There are certain things I notice about her that she hasn't developed in certain areas. One, she thinks it's a monumental thing for a woman to have her own place, as if that was something that was magically a real big thing to do. Men are required to do this all the time. Secondly, she's trying to fight age. She's trying to stay young. She's trying to stay attractive. So that was a second issue. Third issue, she still has a 29-year-old son still living at home with her. And she thinks that's normal. Very obsessive. Very combative. Especially when it comes down to anything regarding visiting her place, talking to her. She always has to have the last word. And this is getting annoying, to say the least. I didn't really think you were right about what you were saying until I really thought about the situation I'm in. I agree 100%. What I'm dealing with is a person that apparently has not matured beyond high school or beyond some sort of teenage fantasy. She's 49 years old and still acting like this. And I'm not going to ask her to change. She's upset with me because I haven't moved in with her and I have no plans on doing so. I'm trying to put together a few dollars and get my ass back to California where I belong. I've run across situations like these more often than you can imagine. From anything from a woman asking to move in with me because she didn't have a place to stay all the way to me having to make money in such a way that she's going to determine whether or not she's going to date me because of that. You know it's really bad when you meet a woman who lives in a homeless shelter having demands and standards for you to have things before they would even date you. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Hans. Las Vegas, Nevada. Hans, you you make a lot of sense. Um, This is the problem in general, no matter whether you're in Vegas or wherever. The problem is there are some people who look at incremental things, fundamental things, as something that's a monumental achievement. I remember a woman was telling me one time about how it was difficult, you know, having a child and growing up in the hood and all of this. And I'm saying, now, I couldn't say this had I not been throughout different parts of the world. But when I went to different places, there were women that had children by themselves. I'm talking about delivered the child by themselves. And they talk about how hard it was. There was no Similac. There was no EBT card. There was no safety net. So when I hear this, they act like it's an accomplishment. Try being in one of those countries. Now, the woman that I'm talking about in particular, when I was over in Uganda, she had AIDS, and none of the people wanted to touch her. She had to deliver that child herself. There was a couple of people that helped her out. but they were family members. There was no 
99 cent store to go to, no 7-Eleven. We complain about the very things we do have at our disposal, as if we have nothing. When you actually have nothing, and you're not complaining, a whole different story. But see, the things that are expected of men, a lot of women use that as a monumental achievement. I have a home. I have a place. If you're renting, if you're leasing, you're in the same position as many men and women are in this country. You don't have a home. You're renting one. You're leasing it. And there's a lot of things involved with purchasing a place. One of the reasons why I never purchased a home was you never who know, never know who your neighbors may be. And you're stuck there with a mortgage. And not only that, my career was very mobile. I had to be able to travel. Didn't have a family. Why invest in piece of real estate. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, you know, you need somewhere uh, stable in order to, you know, lay down your roots. One thing that I will tell you, a lot of the friends of mine that I had during the 1980s in Los Angeles, places like Compton, places like Inglewood, their parents had decent homes in those areas, Carson, different places. But what happened by the time they were ready to inherit the property, in many of those areas, the neighborhood had gone down. And they realized that it was a risk actually living in that neighborhood. But see, it was a nice community when their parents had it, when they first moved in. But things changed. And oh, they went on talking about, well, you can rent the places out, Section 8 and all of this other stuff. And then some of them realized that they rented the place out and they couldn't get the people out when they didn't pay their portion of Section 8. Or wouldn't pay it. And they get a voucher and some of the people only have to pay $95 a month or whatever. Don't even come up with that. Especially if they have kids, they become defiant and they no good and well. You're not kicking them out, so they're not worried about that. So I understand what you're talking about there, sir. Because you get hit with that. That's supposed to uh, go against your masculinity. That's an old 90s ghetto trick that you're dealing with. She hasn't matured because she hasn't been exposed to anything different. And usually what happens, these people will start isolating themselves and they stunt their own growth. No matter how beautiful they are, no matter how much they age, they still have that mentality that's back there. The problem with this lady, in particular for you, she's treating you like a child. And more than likely, she had her children, if she does, And she still thinks she's in that mindset of dealing with a child, even with a grown adult. Because the one thing you have to remember, when they become independent, when they become liberated, and when I say liberated, ladies, I'm not talking about where you should be in a relationship, you know, at the beck and call of a man. 
not talking about that at all. I'm talking about this sense of, okay, I don't need a man, I'm not with a man, etc., etc. I can do it myself, etc. There's usually something wrong that triggers that. And you know what it usually is? More often than not, they're upset about the choice they made, which was a bad one, with the guy they were with. And they had to go and they couldn't be themselves with that person. And so they strive for that new independence. And this is compounded, especially if they've been sexually assaulted or abused. Now, does this always happen to everybody? No, it doesn't, but these are some characteristics that are associated with it. I learned this pattern of behavior back in the 80s, going into the 90s, when I would date some of the women in Los Angeles, especially South Central. You started to see a pattern of behavior based on that. Now, every woman didn't have this pattern of behavior, but those who did, there was a correlation between some of those things that I pointed out. It took me a while to realize that. But this is not uncommon. Because the things that people would normally do in other parts of the world, it's like a monumental feat here. It's all based on convenience, once again. The quickest way to defeat an American make them inconvenienced about something. When you're dealing in a place where people are, are constantly inconvenienced because they don't have, they appreciate when they do. A person who's inconvenienced because they always have it, they complain. That's the distinction. You wonder why many people come here from other countries and they bypass hanging out in clubs and doing all the shit that I used to do. They come here to go to school. They come here to get an education. They come here to better themselves. And they look at us Americans as not taking advantage of the opportunity. And what do we do? We say, oh, well, you know, they had special treatment. They had special loans. They had special this or special that. How about they had a special type of focus in order to accomplish a goal. As one who went back to college at 29 for his AA and 42 for my bachelor's and 45 for my MBA, let me tell you something that I learned. When I started taking those courses in IT for my bachelor's, in the initial stages, oh, it was full of African-Americans at classes because one thing that they wanted to do was to make the big money in the field. And then since they found out they had to take other classes, math and those kind of things, a lot of them started saying, hey, you know what, I'm a major in business. And then they saw that, hey, I can go and major in sociology. Doesn't have that many units. I won't have to take on that much debt. I had a degree. And a lot of them opted out for that. And the ranks thinned out. Until there was about maybe three or four of us. 
And what was interesting, there was a guy from Nigeria, myself and another guy from another country, uh, I think it was Pakistan or somewhere. We were the only minorities. Everybody else was white and Asian. When I got into the MBA program for international business, one of the requirements was two people, I mean, two languages had to be spoken outside of English. Well, that eliminated a lot of other people. Again, there was only about three of us in there, everybody else, white and Asian. I think the guy was from some country um, in Africa. But here's the thing. Oh, and there was one uh, African-American gentleman that was from the state of Texas. He was multilingual like I was. And here's the thing. It was about applying yourself. It was not just about looking for the easiest way out. People used to criticize me because I joined the Marine Corps. I did it voluntarily. I could have joined the Navy, Air Force, or Army. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you don't challenge yourself, guess what you don't do in life? You don't challenge yourself. And you complain because you're stuck with mediocrity. And you think magically that you're supposed to have something better. Well, if you haven't put forth the effort, you don't get it. Now, what I would say to you, sir, is this, Hans. You would be wasting your time to be with this woman. You really would. You've already recognized a level of immaturity, no matter how fine or how old she is. You recognize that she's not going to develop outside of where she is because she wants to bring you into her realm not for you to go, not for her to go into yours, as far as a mutual type of respect and dignity. You'd be a fool to mess with her. And the only reason why I say this is because after you start, I guarantee you she's going to bring you down to her level. Not that you're better than she is, but you're different. You're headed in different directions. And you're right about some of the experiences you had here in Vegas. I've had some of them similarly. That's the reason why now, I very seldom date a woman in Vegas. In fact, I don't know if I will again. Because it's kind of crazy. Almost, look, I'll put it to you this way. The majority of people that I know who are single and dating in Vegas, they're dating someone from California, Arizona, out of state, but not here. I noticed this with a lot of people in Oklahoma City who write in that say there's no good men there. So we know that that's not necessarily the case, but that's the assumption that they make, speculative assumption once again that they make. But see, these are things that you have to learn about because, see, a lot of people will, in L.A., for instance, back in the 90s, 2000, when people were living in L.A. and Southern California, 
they were buying homes like crazy in Vegas. And they were going to rent them out and lease them out. A lot of people lost money on those homes. Now, here's what I would tell you. It became a gold rush out here for people who were paying what they would be back down there in, uh, whatchamacallit, back down there in, in California. If you're paying $1,400 a month back then for a three-bedroom, which was back in the day, now it's much expensive, much more expensive. You could come to Nevada, come to Vegas, and rent a house for that same amount. And it was a status symbol for people who had lived in apartments for a lot, for a lot of times, where they weren't necessarily buying a house, but it, it was like it was more prestigious. They could live in a gated community. They could live in a nice home, as opposed to where they were in Los Angeles, stuck in an apartment or California. That's the way that flowed. So it was a come up in a way in a different state. Of course, the problem in California is that, for one thing, we have not done in the United States what a lot of other countries do. We will sell all of our beachfront property to people from other countries. And of course, they can raise the prices of anything just on that basis. And with that said, it puts most people out of the state, but it creates a balance in a way. But the problem is, is that it gets to a point where it ripples throughout the country, and we have to face it. A lot of these communities throughout the United States are not worth the prices they're asking for them, for these homes. They're inflated. I remember back in 2008, people were talking about buying a $600,000 home in Lake Paris, California, or Victorville. They didn't have no damn economy to support or sustain houses on that level because the jobs didn't pay that high. And these people would go and commute from Los Angeles to Victorville, Los Angeles to, uh, Lake Paris. And the reason why they did that, most of them found that, hey, the income was in L.A. County. But the virtue of their labor was in San Bernardino County, Riverside County, some outlying area where they could afford it, or so they thought. A lot of them lost their homes due to balloon payments. It was easy to get in. And they thought that I can make this every month. I can't tell you how many times I saw that happen over and over. It was cyclical. When I had my computer company at the time, I started seeing this trend take place. Customers that used to live in apartments that were trying to negotiate price. Oh, they'd come in, and the first thing they'd say, oh, I'm a homeowner now. And they would have that combo loan and have a few extra dollars left over, 
and they wanted to buy the latest, newest model of computer. They didn't care how much it cost. Brand new Escalades they were driving. Going to Europe. They were living large. And then when I sold the business, some of those people I started seeing lose their homes. Catching a bus. I started seeing them move back into apartments. They weren't living large anymore. The very computers I sold them, they were actually trying to pawn them and sell them. Those things became dire. So, these things occur. And what you have to remember, Hans, with this is that a lot of these people are living in the moment. What she's trying to do is to freeze herself in that space and time where nothing has changed for. And people do that. I told you about the friend of mine that I have. He's stuck in the 70s. He's not changing. I don't know where the fuck he gets most of his clothes from, but they're still 70-era clothing. He still had those flotion boots with the zip up on the side. I think he recently got rid of his 72 Pontiac Grand Prix with the A-Track tape player in it. Because he was clinging on to that era in his life. That was his identity. And this is what you're dealing with, sir. With her. That's what you're dealing with. The one thing I will tell you, if nothing else, live within and below your means. Preferably below. Because see, after you finish that pissing contest that you go through in your youth to kind of floss and show off, you still have to live beyond that period. So the less money you spend flossing and showing off and put aside for yourself for the future, the better off you will be. I wish I had known that back in the day. Making the kind of money I did, it would have helped out a lot, especially now in my life. But you don't think it's going to last forever. You start thinking, well, you know, the kind of money I'm making, I will always be able to make that as long as I had the credentials and I'm working for someone. And what do we fail to realize? When a company does not need you anymore, they could let your ass go at any rate, any age. And then it could wind up being a situation where it's not just a company, it's the industry. Obsolescence when it comes to skill sets, obsolescence when it comes to you by age, and ageism is real with countries, with companies. They will let your ass go because you're too old. They won't tell you that. But they can damn sure make it possible. So if you're walking around here trying to think that you're going to keep yourself up and you're in your late 60s or mid 60s 
and you're talking about, oh, well, if I lose this job, I'll go and get another one, you better start preparing your ass to get some Social Security and sit your ass down because these companies don't have to hire you anymore. That's what you fail to realize. And so you may think more of yourself than the company thinks of you. I hate to say it like that, but it's true. Because now, it's not a situation where they're going to put money into you to retrain you at 62 or 63 to only stay on the job for until you're 65. They're not doing that shit no more. This is not the old union days of the 70s. What you're dealing with now, these companies are looking at how can we cut the bottom line even more? Can we use automation? Can we use more sourcing overseas so we don't have to hire so many people? That's where they're looking. So a lot of people didn't realize in the 80s was the midst of them implementing employee reduction in the workplace through automation. They looked at the innovations the Japanese had done and they started following suit. And these companies liked the results. And we went through outsourcing when, of course, they were talking about jobs. But now, let's look at what has happened over the years. There are companies that said, you know what, forget the operating costs in America. Even with the tax breaks the Republicans give them and all that, they don't give a shit about that. They're looking at, where can I actually make this company most profitable? That's the reason why these companies, in the 90s especially, went overseas. And Newt Gingrich and them talked about, you know, they had too much regulation, too many products. Didn't matter. Those companies were looking for a better deal. And if it meant going overseas for it, they would do it. And that's exactly what they've done. You got to remember, America doesn't have a sovereign wealth fund like many of these other countries like China. Sovereign wealth means that the country itself can purchase assets in another country. So if there is a financial institution or if there is some sort of other business that's in the U.S. that they can come into that market with, they go in and invest in that market. Look what TikTok did as a prime example. Got Facebook reeling. Twitter reeling. And Americans loving it up. Foreign direct investment at its finest. But the average American doesn't look at it that way. Because they want to have fun. They want to do their videos. Now, another thing I would tell you, Hans, is this. If I were in your shoes, I would not waste a lot of time explaining to her why it's not working. Because what she's going to do is try to have the last word and argue with you. 
You already see what the problems are. You see what the symptoms were. So why put yourself in that position of explaining yourself to someone who's going to argue with you before they listen to you? I'm just saying overall, that wouldn't do you any good. It wouldn't be any benefit to you. More in a minute. All right. Now, as you know, I tell you all the time, the more sensitive you are, the easier it is to manipulate you. I'm going to read another email from Isaac. And he writes the following out of Dallas, Texas. I don't know how to take what she said to me. She is my girlfriend. Well, she was not born a woman. She's a transgender female. We have been together now for about two years. I'm 29 and she's 25. It was a happenstance meeting because I could have sworn she was a woman, biologically. I had some problems with really dealing with the situation and I actually fell in love with her. Didn't want to, had no intentions of doing it, kept our relationship secret for about six months and then it came to the surface. There were some things that I noticed immediately. She was very sensitive about talking about transgender situations. She acted as if she was the authority on this. Not true enough, she made the transition. I was willing to accept that. She was doing pretty good for herself in that realm, but I found that I couldn't even talk about certain things. And she had some friends that were obviously not trans, trans, he's got here transgendering over, but I guess he meant to say transforming over. They still had masculine features. They just put on a dress and thought that they were cute. My girl really passes for a woman all the time. Can't tell you how many times she's gotten compliments. I had to fight a guy over her one time, a straight man who was married at that. Another lesbian tried to talk to her and she told her what was going on. And after that, of course, there was no interest. Now, the interesting thing is, a lot of people ask us, how do we have sex? Well, we have sex the normal way, just like most other people do. She still has her equipment down there and she does not penetrate me if that's what you're thinking. I do the penetrating, she does the receiving. Now that you know this, to get that out of the way, because that's one of the hangups people have about this type of lifestyle. Being in Texas, we keep our relationship very private. If my family were to know, it would be a problem. My friends were to know, it would be a problem. I'm not ready to reveal the truth. 
they think she's a woman. My sister loves her. They go shopping together all the time. She's a devout Christian, and I'm sure if she were to find out, there would be issues. I kind of gloat in the fact that she's doing this, and nobody knows. It's our secret. She keeps her relationships, friendships, with people in that same realm down in Houston, San Antonio, but not in Dallas. She's already told me about the risk she would run by doing that. She's originally from Denver, Colorado. So I got an education on this particular lifestyle that she introduced me to. Had I known she was not a biological woman, I would have never got involved with her. But it took time. She was honest with me and told me the truth in the beginning. And it was up to me to make the decision, and I did. But our biggest riff right now is that she wants me to stay off of anything that has to do with LGBTQ. Because she feels as though that's her territory, and I shouldn't speak on it. I shouldn't have an opinion on it. And I should just live with it. My opinions in solitude. This is our only issue. I thought it would be the thing of her taking the hormone injections and those kind of things. But it's not. Is there any way I can probably get through to her and let her know that I want to voice my opinion on things without offending her? <sighs> nope. See... People like that are absolutists. They believe in an absolute concept. What I lay down and what I tell you is what I mean and what I say. There is no rebuttal. You've allowed this to evolve. It doesn't matter whether this person is transgender or not. You would do the same thing to a domineering woman. You do the same thing even if you were a female and you were with a male because that's a part of you. Here is the thing I would tell you. This person is more of an activist type and that's the reason why they have come across the way she has. Now, one thing that I would tell you, I would not do if I were you. I would not make it an issue in the sense that... um you're going to just say, well, you know, I'm just going to sit idly by and not voice my opinion. You should. I bet you you can't get her to shut up about pro-LGBTQ things. Communication and consideration are two things that are missing from this equation. You've got to really reevaluate your situation on this. Because I don't think it's really going that well for you. Just saying. Just saying. Best of luck to you. All right. Let's see what else we have here. I have a question. My name is Ann. I've listened to your show now for a year. 
you bring up some really interesting subjects and topics I never thought about. I was hesitant to write into your show because I thought you'd probably slam me. I'm 38 years old. I don't have any children. Don't have any plans to have any. Don't like them at all. I'm just wondering. There is something that I like doing, and I want to know what a man's perspective is on it. I have always liked meeting a guy that I want to sleep with, sleeping with him, but not really wanting to have anything to do with him after I've done so. I know men do this, and some women say that since men do it, we should do it. I actually do it because I love the adventure and the challenge of sleeping with a new man. That's my thing. I don't want to be with someone that I have to date or someone that I have to be with 24-7. If I see a handsome guy and we can hit it off, I just want that few moments of passion. And after that, my urge is done, at least until the next time it comes up. I'll admit that urge hits me about three times a week. Some guys will call me a whore. But to look at me, you wouldn't think so. I've attached a photo just for you to look at and tell me, what do you think of me? All right, and you're out of where? Paramount, California. To look at you, I think you're a librarian with the glasses. And folks, she looks like an average, everyday American woman. She's brunette, brown eyes. I don't know how tall she is. I would say about maybe 5'5", five, 5'4". Five, five, She's got a pretty cool shape. Nothing uh, spectacular. And she's very, very conservatively dressed. She has a you know, blouse and... Uh, like a knee-length skirt. And here's the thing. It's not about what the men think about you because apparently you can attract men. That's not a problem. You can have sex with the men you want for the most part. But you have to ask yourself, how do you feel about you? By you writing in, what that tells me is that you have a problem with the way you're perceived by men. Don't you think that you're using sex as a vehicle in order to get affection and attention instead of one where you can actually put forth a little bit more effort for love? But I understand you're content like that. I've run across women like you before. And I will tell you, some of you have some good pussy or warm pie. Others of you, it's trash. And the reason why you do this is because of the gratification you get. And what I mean by trash is you don't put forth any effort in it. It's just a thing for your gratification, and then you're on to the next. You know, like those girls, those ladies you were talking about who are trying to take on the men's approach about sleeping with a whole bunch of women? Well, you're trying to do the same thing as a woman. But the problem is... If these guys 
aren't seeking you out after you've made your big splash with them, there's a good possibility you're stroking your ego by the number of men you're sleeping with. But guess what they're not doing? They're not asking for an encore. So what that means is that you're getting gratification out of being with these men, but they're not getting it from you. That's the thing. See, the one thing you have to remember about a player, a man who does this, a philanderer, a guy who's sleeping with a whole bunch of women, guess what he's trying to do besides get his, get his rocks off? He's trying to have an encore so that the woman that he cheated with would want him back for the second time around. I guarantee you, with the frequency of you having sex with multiple people, there's a good possibility. The guys would want to just put their penis in a hole. But those guys you're seeing, they're more than likely want to put it in another one and not yours after they finish. And this is probably where you're running into difficulty. You know, it's like the woman who got played by a guy and he wasn't that good in bed. Guess what she's not going to do? Pursue him. Well, men are the same way. See, some of you ladies, you actually think your pussy is good. It's good to you. But to some of the other guys, what are they going to do? They're going to patronize and get and gaslight you and tell you how good it is. And let me tell you what they're doing when they do this. They're doing it just so that they'll have a safe haven. If worse comes to worse with anybody else, they know they can still put their penis inside you. That's it. It's like a recycle bin. Outside of that, it's a one and done. Now, a couple of things about that. Some women think that if a man sleeps with him one time and then doesn't come back, that her vagina is trash. Well, in some cases, that's true. Especially if she brags about it. That's the key. If she brags about how good she is and she's horrible, he wants to prove a point. Now, if she doesn't brag and she's horrible, he'll work with her. And when I say horrible, she doesn't know how to move her hip. She doesn't know how to screw. She's just all over the place. Now, here's the other thing. You will find people with low self-esteem overvalue themselves, overrate themselves. And what happens in this reality is that they put themselves at a total disadvantage. And their disadvantage is they think they're better than they are. And they go and promote this to other people. And other people want to hold them to that standard. And then when they realize, oh, you're talking in a vacuum. You're good to yourself, but not good to others. You're just telling yourself you're this good. And see, that's the thing. They have internal affirmation, but they don't have external affirmation. And I think, and what you're doing here is you're looking on the sideline for the reaction of the crowd. 
See, if it was only about your gratification, you wouldn't have written this. It had just been a situation where you would have just listened on because you were th screwing three men a week and you'd have been happy. But there is something that's not meeting your expectations. It's not the quality of the dick. It's that they're not coming back. And that's the risk you run when you play that game. Now, let me tell you what's going to possibly happen to you. Because I've seen many women do this, many guys do this. And you'll find that these social services workers, especially the women, when a guy is um, like at a point where he stayed at the party too long. Oh, if they're single and they had difficulty finding a man, oh, they love to come down on that guy and tell him he ain't shit and blah, blah, blah. And oh, he should have been in a relationship. He should have been doing this. And then he wouldn't be on social service. He wouldn't be in a nursing home. And not realize that some of these guys actually couldn't find a decent woman while they were out there. Just like women complain about not finding a decent man. Yep, it works that way. Now, here's the thing, though. A lot of these people that stay at the party too long, thinking that their looks, their body, their sex, or whatever, is going to be an everlasting thing when they start facing the reality that they're not what they had put themselves up to be, it's a long, hard fall to reality. It's dismal. Because you have to remember, in our society, what do we like to do? Foster competition. We want to be better than the next person. It makes us feel good. It gives us that drive to do better. We should have that drive within us. Damn the competition. But we don't. We have to look to the left and to the right. This is what you're doing, Ann. You're looking to the left and to the right. Because what's happening now, I guarantee you, in your 30s, it's getting more difficult for you just to get a man on face value. And I'll be honest with you. Looking at this photo, I would not fuck you. No matter how many clothes you took off or what you did in the bedroom, and I guarantee you, you do a lot more shit than a more attractive woman would do. That's usually the way it goes. Not always, but I have a feeling that this right here is your epiphany because you're not getting the encore. I could be totally wrong on this, but this is what I get from you. You wrote me, I told you. More in a moment, folks. Alvin writes the following from North Las Vegas. I'm 41 years old, and I feel like a damn loser and a fool writing into a podcast talking about my problem. But the reason why I'm writing 
And this is the first time I've ever written in or ever called in to a show of any time. It's because of the fact he's got here any time. I think he meant any type. He has time, T-I-M-E. I'm really thinking that maybe you can give me some insights on what's going on with me. And that's the reason why I like your show. Because I've listened to other people, which were my name, nameless on this show, because they don't come to the level of what you're talking about. I'm not saying that you're better than anyone or that you're a guru. What I am saying, though, is that I appreciate you being honest and humble, and when you don't know the answer to something, you say it. A lot of these people just make shit up out their ass. But here's another thing that I really like about your show. I've been listening now for about two years. I like the way you handle some of the situations you're faced with. So please keep up the good work. There are people like myself listening. And hopefully my girlfriend won't be listening about what I'm going to reveal to you. I don't think she's listened to your show yet. And I got to admit, I have tried to avoid her listening to you because she'll get some shit on me. And then before you know it, she'll be doing the same shit on me I'm doing on her. I love her. We've been together now for two years. The problem we're having is that I have a very high libido. We have sex three times a day on the regular. No exaggeration, no joke. My girl is taking dick seven days a week, three times a day. That's right, 21 times in a week. And I know it's something within me, but here is the thing that I'm saying. I'm doing this because in the past, before I started dating her, I was an avid cheater. I mean, avid. If I had a friend or coworker at work, more than likely, I would fuck his wife or his girlfriend. That's just the way it was. If I had a female supervisor, she was going to get dicked too. And that's the way I'd lived my life for a long time. I could not keep it in my pants, as people say. And I'll admit, it had more to do with the sexual urge than it did the love. My girlfriend had no idea that I had this going on and I tried to repress it for a very long time. In fact, before we started having sex, I was still sleeping with my supervisor, a coworker, coworker's best friend, and my mother's neighbor. And that was to satisfy my urge. And I wanted to play the role that I was a good guy with my, with my current girlfriend. What has happened now though, since I've given up the other women for the last two years, she has taken on the brunt of the dick. And she complains. She talks about how sore she is, but she doesn't want to tell me no. And I actually feel sorry for her. I try to be softer on my penetration, but I can't help it. I want to be inside her. It's like this thing inside me. And it's gotten to a point now where she's telling me that if we get married, we're going to have to start slowing up maybe three times a week. And I told her, if I have to do it three times a week, I'm probably going to cheat. And when I told her that, she didn't believe me. She kind of chuckled and said, yeah, right. She thinks that I'm this saint, that I'm this nice guy that just going to go on 
and abide by that rule. But she's been a good sport, letting me go and still have sex with her. But the problem is I know she's sore. I know it's painful. I've decided to give her a couple of days off, and the reason being she's raw down there now, and the doctor told her she needs to heal a bit. And let me tell you, beating off is not the answer. Because that does absolutely nothing for me. I have to be inside a woman. I've been going to brothels in order to try to compensate. And I know it's wrong. But I'm trying my best not to cheat on her. Now, you might call that cheating. I don't refer to it as cheating. Because... The woman's being paid for her services. I'm wearing a condom. I'm being responsible. And I'm giving my girl a break. I know this sounds fucked up. But this is the way it is. I know at some point in my life, my dick probably won't work anymore. According to some of the stats that you quoted. I'm trying to get it in. But it's something inside me that makes me want to just fuck. And I just can't help it. Hope you understand. Please don't think of me as something low life or something like that. This is just the way I am, telling the naked truth. Because I can't say this kind of stuff to my wife. I have to tell somebody. If I told my family this, I would be excommunicated because they're devoutly religious. I don't think my parents had sex since they had me. LOL. <sighs> Man. Alvin, man, you, I think what you need to do is this. And I don't recommend this for people. You lay people out there, I don't recommend this. You may need to talk to your woman about getting some help. And I don't mean the kind of help from a therapist this is just my opinion only go to a therapist get a better opinion get someone that can really help you <sighs> you need to get a bisexual woman or a woman that will allow another woman in the house that you both can agree on Only reason why I say this is because not a lot of women are cringing their hair is bristling up on their neck right now. I can't believe you're telling them something like this. But the reason why I say this is because one, you need to give your woman a break because she's going to fuck around and have a heart attack. Because there are women out there that are getting so much dick right now that they want to be with them, man. They want to keep them, man. But it's the magnitude of the dick they get. It's not about the size or anything like that. It's about the fact that, hey, you're going inside of her three times a day, seven days a week. And there's some women that are built where they can handle that with no problem. They'd welcome it. But you have now had sex with your woman until she's raw on the inside. 
And I've done that a couple of times too. And now you gotta remember that shit hurts both people. Of that friction, right? So with that other woman that your woman is not intimidated by. She would feel as though this lady's not gonna take my man. She'd have to feel comfortable on that level. She'd have to feel comfortable on the, in the fact that they can get along. Now, i tell you as an example how this worked. A friend of mine years ago was an electrician and he was too big for his wife. She would joke around and say something like when he would say, yeah, honey, when we get home, she said, oh no, you ain't putting that big thing in me again. Not for a long time. I got to heal. And she'd joke. Well, he had an ex-wife. And his new wife and his ex-wife were good friends. Well, the ex-wife needed a place to stay. She had got with a new boyfriend. The boyfriend had told her a whole bunch of lies and he didn't have shit, didn't own shit. And she wound up paying all of the bills until she was broke. So he said, well, temporarily you can move in with us. After consulting with his current wife about it, and she had time limits and limitations on what they could do together, etc. Well, the conversation got around with the two women about him sleeping with her too much. And this is when the ex-wife told him, told her, she said, well, the way I used to handle it, he had a girlfriend. She said, because, yeah, you start getting sore, you start getting raw, you start getting tired. And the current wife thought about it. And she said, well, we can still have shared duty because at least I know you're not being with anyone and I'm not being with anyone but him. And it worked out. And to this very day, the three of them still live together. It really depends on the situation. Now, I'm not recommending to everyone that they go out and get another spouse or another partner because of this. But what I am saying, sir, you got a lot of energy going right now. And I'm wondering whether or not you're taking Viagra or anything. I hope you're not. Just to prove this point, just to do this. If you're on, you need to cut that shit out. If you really love this woman, which I think you do, but you have this thing inside of you, this addiction, that ain't going anywhere. And don't be surprised if this woman breaks up with you before you guys get married. It's a messed up situation. But it can happen. It happens more often than you think when it comes down to that. There are women that divorce their husbands because their dick's too big. There are women that divorce their husbands because the guy wants too much sex. I had a girl break up with me one time because of that. 
And let me tell you something, ladies. You know when you're very fine and you don't understand how why that guy is inside you all the time and you're thinking that it's all because well, he just wanted me for sex. No, my dear. He wants to be a part of you. If he just wanted you for sex, guess what he would do? After he had it, he would leave. If he's still going up inside you and still in that relationship with you, still take you out on dates and everything like that, that's part of the territory. Enjoy it. Bella, same thing. When your woman is down and ready to go, don't tell her no. Because women, they will go, when they're horny, they will find a dick. They will do that. Especially around ovulation. Shit. They will find you. And they'll be punking the shit out of you too. That's the way they operate. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a normal thing. Now, you have some women where the guy has to initiate all the time. Ladies, let me tell you something. Two things about this uh, passive traditional woman that many of you try to emulate. You know that woman that says the man has to call her all the time. She doesn't call him because she feels as though he's pursuing her, so he should call her. You know that woman that doesn't initiate sex and expects the man to do it? We call her Lazy Susan, just like the thing you turn in the middle of the table. What are we looking for as men? We want a woman who also initiates. You sit up there thinking that you're in those covered wagon days where, you know, the guy's got to do all the work and got to do all No. What a man wants now is for a woman to be participatory, to come in there and to establish her desires that's a turn on for him and yes ladies some of you are so fine that you wonder because initial stages you're wondering like damn he screwed me and he's just out of energy I'm out of energy and he's laying there and his penis is still inside of me why is he doing this well the reason why he's doing that is because you're probably the best woman he ever had. He doesn't want to lose you. He wants to be inside you. So when he wake up, he's hard again and he's going. And usually a guy that does this, he doesn't mind you getting pregnant. He doesn't care. He will be there for you and the baby anytime. He didn't marry you. And the reason why he would be that way was because he would feel as though this is the best shot at a woman that's about something that he's going to get. He doesn't want to lose it. ain't gonna take that risk no I ain't pulling out the danger with that though some of you ladies if you're too good with it shit <laughs> if you're too good with it you might send him into a place that he had never been before in his own soul now I tell you when Monica and I were together, 
she would always have a different thing that she'd like to do. I remember one night in particular, she told me, she said, I want you to lay on your back and I'm going to lay on top of you. And she said, I'm going to sit up and squat on you. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to put this mirror so that you can see how I look. And I could look back and see it and we both can go together. She would do things like that. She would initiate them. Because what she wanted to do was when she was horny, she wanted to make sure that I enjoyed the experience. So it was not a situation where it was just about her gratification. God, I can't think of the times that I thought she was pregnant. We both thought she was pregnant. And I was like, phew. But if she would have been, it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been cool. I would have actually probably stopped my life and been better off. Because it was really a good relationship. And the thing also, ladies, you know when you're talking to your man, some of you like to talk dirty and that kind of thing. Okay, that's your thing. Others of you actually communicate while you're having sex. I mean, in an effective way. You know, I might say something like, okay, do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? Tell me how it makes you feel right now. What if I do this? You like that, huh? When you start talking to him like that, asking him those questions, what you're doing is, believe it or not, you're actually appealing to him like you are a new woman. <clears throat> you know, a lot of you ladies worry about the guy cheating on you. By that interaction, what you're doing is you're not the traditional type of woman that's having sex and moaning and that's it. You're actively participating with them. And what is happening here is when you're doing that, he feels as though, damn, she cares. He's communicating. What do you think prostitutes do with men when they sleep with them? That escort that I met that night with her mate, she told me straight up. She said, no, you have to carry on a conversation, communication with them, but not one of those generic dry things where you're talking about statistics or something like that. It's about the sexual experience you're having. Because then they feel as though you care about them and it makes it that much enjoyable because the majority of them she was talking about the clients they don't talk to their wives the wives don't talk to them when they're having sex they just have sex and that's it so when they're communicating it's a whole different thing and she'll tell them something like do you like my breasts you want to suck on them those kind of things. Very provocative. Because what that does for the guy, that arouses him even more. He already is in love with you. Now he's in lust with you. See, that's the way you want it. It's a three-pronged strategy. You want like, then you want love, and then you want lust. 
with three L's. See, with like, that's your friendship in the beginning. With love, that's your emotional connection. And with lust, that's when that you have that deep desire. You know when I tell guys, when you're communicating with a woman, you're trying to get to her cerebrally, emotionally, and then vaginally. Again, what do we have? Like, love, lust. That's the way it lays out. Because, see, when it gets to that point that the two of you lust for each other, what's going to happen is y'all going to be fucking all the time and not just to procreate. It's going to be part of your feeling for each other. And yeah, there'll be times where you don't want to touch each other because you guys have been together so much. But there are other couples. It's a difference. Monica used to make it a point. She says, if we get in bed together, we're having sex. Whether you want it or whether I want it is irrelevant. We're having sex. And I asked her, well, why? And I said, it would be kind of like meaningless. meaningless." And she told me, she said, I just feel very comfortable with you inside me. She said, I actually sleep better that way. Okay, fine with me. And it wasn't a chore. It wasn't a duty. It was fun being with her. It was fun being with her. And we had a lot of interesting things. I remember one time we were having sex and she hit me in the head with a pillow. And we sitting there just boning away and we're hitting each other with pillows. And it cracked me up. She said, honey, honey, hold up, hold up. I'm getting there. Right there, right there, right there. And I'm holding the pillow up in one hand. She's holding the pillow up in the other one. And we're going for it. And all of a sudden, gush. <laughs> and we both went at the same time. We put the pillows down and started kissing each other. But it gets to a point where you go on that level where you're so comfortable with your partner that you're playful like that. But again, you have to grow together. Best of luck to you, sir. All right, folks, let's talk about the conclusion here. Now, in dating, we pointed out some of the phobias that these people experience, but there are a lot of them. You know, you have people that are germaphobes. Phobia in itself means fear of something. So there are a lot of things that people fear. Rejection. We didn't cover that because we talk about it so much because it's standard operating procedure when it comes to dating. You will more than likely be rejected at some point for some reason beyond your control. You can only control the things that you can. Anything beyond that is out of your scope. That includes the behavior of someone else, the desire of someone else. 
That's not on you. That's not your call. It's theirs. Now, another thing you have to come to grips with. You have a phobia, believe it or not, in some cases of being successful. There's some people who have that. They would rather fail at something than to excel in it because they're more comfortable with failure than success. You'll find people that look for relationships only for them to fail, to prove and reaffirm their conviction that they are not ready for a relationship or a relationship is not for them. Let's look at some other things here that really will foster this phobia. The fear of losing. Yes. And there are scientific words for it, but I'm just going to use something that's basically uh, for laymen. Because we're all laymen for the most part. And that fear of losing is really crazy. What do you think Donald Trump has? Talking about how he won the election when he lost. He's a fear of losing. A fear of being less than. You have others that have a fear of being treated as they've treated others. You wonder why the extreme right is so concerned about not becoming a minority because they don't want to be treated as a minority if they become one. You have other fears. And what I mean by that is this is the reason why some people may not date interracially because they have that fear of being associated with the minority and it's going to lessen their social value. You also have many other fears. Fear of snakes. A lot of women are. Arachnophobia. Fear of spiders. I remember one time I dated this lady. She wanted me to drive. Now get this, folks. She wanted me to drive from Santa Monica all the way to hell out to Pasadena to Pasadena to kill a spider well at first I was like not gonna do it <coughs> I said just get some spray no uh-uh, I want you to come here and kill the spider for me and then she said well if you come and kill the spider I might can kill that urge well I got my ass in the car like a dumbass went out there <clears throat> this spider was no bigger than a quarter and he was minding his own damn business so the only thing I did was got the broom and swept him outside and she's like oh my god I'm so afraid and we sprayed around the doors in the house and the way this spider got in, it was only obvious. When they, the landlord replaced the door in the back of the house, it's about maybe, I see, a quarter of an inch too short to really prevent a draft from coming in. And the landlord she had was one of these people that were the do-it-yourselfer. He was not going to get a contractor. That's probably the reason why cabinet doors didn't shut properly. But yeah, it was a lot of warm pie that night. A lot of warm pie. But 
thing was, when I got ready to leave, she told me, she says, you know, now I know how to get you over here. The only thing I got to do is just say something's wrong and just give you a little piece of pussy and you come over here. And she started laughing. I'm like, damn. She got my ass that time. The irony was, three weeks later, she called me up and told me that we couldn't see each other anymore because she was falling in love with the landlord. Hmm. Don't know how that turned out for her. I think personally, she was using that female currency to pay the rent. Who knows? Now, one thing I will tell you, you're going to have people that have fear of everything. I mean, you think of the fear, it's there. There was a person that I dated one time, and well, I think we went out maybe three times. And she was the weirdest individual I ever dated. Well, I wouldn't say the weirdest, one of the weirdest. She would go and look up a disease and swear up and down she had it. And we were on our first date. And she said it was some kind of weird-ass Greek name of a disease that she had, and it was very rare. And she was like, well, I think I have that. I got the symptoms. And this was well before WebMD and all the rest of those. But what I didn't realize was that she had a disorder in that if she even heard about something, whether they were talking about it on a talk show or something, she would automatically act as if she had the symptoms. When she didn't, she was perfectly healthy. And I realized that every time I spoke with her, she had a different condition. This girl was only 26 years old. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, shit, you got all of this? She was like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm really ready to have a relationship because I got to take care of my medical condition. She needed to take care of her mental condition. But she was focused on that. Again, fellas, ladies, I'm telling you, don't be fooled by the packaging of people. These people will be very handsome, very attractive. They will look normal. But after you get past that veneer and that facade that we always think where we see that person, we think they're a wonderful person. When you get to know them, it's a whole different chapter in that book, isn't it? whole different chapter so be mindful of that don't be fooled just by the packaging you never know what's in the contents take it for someone who had to learn the very hard way all of these situations and stories I tell you about that I've experienced and I'm journaled. When I experienced them, I wrote everything down. Because one thing that I wanted to know was, how the hell did I wind up with this person? That was my question. As I would go through and date these people and find out, I'd be saying to myself, 
Now, I'm just looking for a relationship. And I get this. Did I ask for this? Was I looking for this? The answer was no. Did I treat myself like a victim? No. Because you only know people when they want you to know them. When they reveal certain elements. When they exhibit certain behavior. Because what do we do 99% of the time when we meet somebody? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how are you? And you smile and that's it. <laughs> you talk to them, get a chance to learn about their philosophy, get a chance to learn about the phobias and all those things. This is the reason why as people, we don't like going beyond the scope of saying, hey, how you doing today? Because we know we may hear something that we don't want to hear. That's the reason why we keep moving. We don't want to hear about you having a backache or a leg ache. Because it would lead into a conversation where we'll know more about you than we want to know. But what do you try to do when you get into a relationship or date someone? You're trying to get to know them. That's when you find out some shit that you probably didn't want to know. lady that I talked to that night right here in Vegas she said something I need to tell you I said okay and we were just chatting at this time I met her on OkCupid she told me that she had been in prison for 10 years okay attempted murder okay she shot her ex didn't kill him but got 10 years in prison for it and he was permanently maimed. She shot him in the penis. And I'm like, okay, that's red flag number one. Your ass ain't gonna get the first date with me. And then she went on and told me that she had a fetish. And she said she'd like to collect sperm and freeze it so that she can consume it later. Second red flag. And the third one was she did not like being called a cunt or a whore. But I don't call women that anyway, so I don't have that to worry about. And the third one. The first one was the one that I made my decision on. I didn't have to get to the second one. The second one, uh, I've had women that have different kinky desires and things. I shouldn't share this with you, but I am. We received an email. This was, I got to get with Gina when that came in, but it was a long time ago. And this guy was dating a woman. And she was into a lot of sexual fetishes. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to, I'm going to have to get the email and read that one to you because that one it blew me away. That's the reason why we didn't air it was because of the fact that it was kind of graphic, but I'll spare you the details. Anyway, I'll think about doing it later so that we can find it, if we can find it, if it hadn't been deleted yet. See, the way the email works here is that you get it in, Gina or Natalie, usually Gina screens it, and then she'll forward it to me. I will read it. Well, I put it in the Google Reader it reads it to me and then I read it to you and 
as it reads. I read it, or speak it, rather, because I have one device that is hooked up just for that purpose. It's in one ear. The other ear is the headphones for me to do the podcast. And so, it's an interesting contraption I got set up, but it works. And for those of you who don't know, I'm legally blind. I can see, but I can't see in detail. That's the reason why I use the Google Reader to read it for me. You highlight the area. Well, it's, I guess it's accessibility feature. You highlight the area, and then it reads it to you in one device. And then I record it from what I spoken in the other. And that's how we do the podcast. Gina's in Liechtenstein and Natalie's in London still mourning the death of the Queen. And so this is a ragtag group of people that get together and make it work. But they're wonderful people. In any case, folks, what I want to do is thank you for listening to the show. Really appreciate your support. We're still trying to get this thing rolling and going because any tools that can help you, that's my gratification. It's not about the likes. It's not about the money. Because, hell, it's cost me more money to put on this podcast for the last few years than I've earned from it. I could earn money from it. But right now, the message is more important than the money. Money will come at some point. Not worried about that. So, tell a friend. Have them subscribe. It might find something of use. But the one thing I want you to get out of this particular episode, you will run across people with different phobias. Some of them will have a phobia of driving. I met a woman years ago who didn't drive. She was 52 years old. Refused to. Never wanted to learn how to drive. You will have people who may not even actually being in a relationship. They may be phobic about that. They may be phobic about marriage. It depends on the individual. And you have to work around to see what you can deal with and what you can't. Because you got to remember with a phobia, they're going to put limitations on you and your ability to, to interact with that person in a relationship. Well, folks, thanks once again. Talk to you tomorrow. I would like to personally thank you for listening to Romantic Truth. You may follow us on Facebook.com backslash Romantic Truth. You may ask your friends to subscribe to Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth. Or you can leave us a message at Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth backslash message. You may contact us through email at RomanticTruthPodcast at gmail.com. Take care.
Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.